Hello, my name is Tom Boone. And I'm Joanna Bailey. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we've got for you this week. Coming up in today's show, Tom looks at just how useful Highfly found the Airbus A380, and I'll talk about the new narrowbodies coming to Singapore Airlines. I'll tell you about the first official flight of the UK's Executive Transport A330, and Joe will look at the low-cost battleground that's emerging at London's Gatwick Airport. Finally, we'll hand back to Tom to find out which Vietnamese airline will fly to the US sooner than you might think. So now you know what's in store, let's get on with the show. I think you're going to start us off today, Tom, with uh, some analysis. <laughs> yeah, so um, I reached out to our friends at Flight Radar um, to find out how useful um, Highfly has found its A380, because obviously last week we discussed how they were retiring it after, um, they say, three years of the lease contract, but they've only been flying it since um, the summer of 2018. Um, but what I did was I spent maybe an hour going through this data, um, doing bits and bobs. And the one graph that I really um, enjoyed making was it ended up looking a bit like a barcode. Um, it was essentially a bar chart. And every day that the um, Highfly A380 had flown um, for a customer, um, there was a line. Um, so... It basically shows along um, a, a linear scale where where the flights that the aircraft operated are concentrated in the year. And if if you haven't seen it, I definitely recommend popping on the website and looking at the graph because it is really interesting. Um, but what it shows is that um, the first of August um, was sort of around when they got the aircraft in 2018, and then. There was sort of a flurry of bookings for this thing. It flew a lot throughout August 2018 and then a little bit in September 2018. And then um, after sort of mid-September, it didn't fly again until it operated a couple of flights um, around sort of December, January 2018, 2019. And then again, it didn't fly until um, April uh, when it had a couple of flights, May a couple of flights, June a couple of flights. Um and then sort of July, August, September into October 2019, this thing was used like crazy. Um, and then basically ever since then, um, apart from the odd flight here and there, it's not been used at all. Um, so it is really interesting because it shows that actually... It spent a lot of time on the ground by the sounds of it. <laughs> it has, you know, um, and... Um, well, it's interesting because of the destinations that it's been to. So, um, can you guess the most used Highfly A380 destination? Um, probably New York. Yes. Ah, so, cool. um, well, actually, it's interesting because um, obviously um, Norwegian used the aircraft a lot to go to New York. Um, but it went to New York from different places. So while the aircraft has landed at New York's JFK airport 40 times, it's only landed at London Gatwick 30 times. Oh, so um, it wasn't just for Norwegian's Dreamliner problem then? No, I mean, it's it's been used here and there, you know, like we've seen it um, doing a couple of flights for, uh, well, there's cargo flights recently. We've seen... Um, 
the Thomas Cook repatriations. Oh, um, yes. Yeah. Stuff like that. But um, it's really interesting because I wanted to ask you how many hours you think the aircraft had flown for Highfly. Well, you asked me this privately um, a little while ago, and I gave a really stupid answer. So I'm going to revise that down to 2,000. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, not quite. It's um, flown 1,580 hours, but um, which equivalents equivalent to equates. That's the word to roughly <laughs> 66 days of flights. Um, but Over what's really more interesting? More than two years. That's not a lot, really, is it? It's not. No, it's um, like maybe a month a year, but. Um, <laughs> What's even more interesting than that is that um, obviously it's based in Bay here. I've probably butchered that pronunciation as always <laughs> um, in Portugal. Um, but there's not really much there. There's an airport, but you wouldn't go there to fly anywhere. So every time that they want to use this aircraft, they've got to take it from Bay here and take to it to London or wherever they want to fly it. So once you remove all of these positioning flights, you're only left with uh, 1,434 hours across 203 flights. Wow, that's not a lot. No. <laughs> I'd be really not. interested to know how much they paid for the lease and like yeah. get a per hour expense basis because I bet it's one of the most expensive aircraft leases that there is out there right now. It probably is, but I don't think they'd be willing to tell you that in a rush. Probably not. <laughs> but from big A380s, I thought you might want to talk about slightly smaller aircraft now. Yeah, thanks for that analysis, Tom. That was really interesting. And I think uh, punctuates my little chat last week about yeah. the second-hand market being dead and buried for the A380. But uh, a market where second-hand is reigning supreme is the Boeing 737. Um, obviously, it's the planet's best-selling aircraft and it's, uh, you know, a the backbone of many fleets around the world. So hmm. it's still rather unusual when a big long haul airline like Singapore Airlines is taking some. <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, it's generally not something that Singapore Airlines gets involved with, but through their merger with Silk Air, they are now taking 11 737 next generation. So all the 737 800s um, hmm. and will also be taking some 737 Max. Um, and the airlines revealed that they're ready to put these into service in the early part of 2021 um, and last week we got hold of some really cool photos of the the 737 ngs in their singapore airlines livery and they mm. look so cute you know you're used to yeah. seeing that livery on great big aircraft and to see it on a, a little narrow body is really cool um so these aircraft, they're, they're all, like I say, they previously flew for Silk Air and they're all between five and six years old. Um, but it's not just the outside that's getting a makeover. They're planning to completely redo the aircraft's interior as well. Um, Pre-COVID, Singapore had been planning to spend around $100 million to upgrade the interiors. And they were talking about live flat seats um, as well as seat back entertainment for the business and the economy class cabins. Now, we're not entirely sure if they're going to take off in January or February, whatever it's going to be, with the new cabins, because obviously there's a bit of a budget squeeze at the moment and mm. uh, dishing out loads of money on capital expenditure is not really the done thing right now. So um, we're likely to see at least some of them take off with the old Silk Air business class cabin, which has recliner seats, I guess a bit like you'd see in um, premium economy on a, a an international aircraft, on a white body aircraft. Um, mm. But in time, they're all going to 
going to have fully flat, you know, Singapore Airlines style interiors for business and, and all the economy class is going to have the um, IFE screens and everything like that. So, yeah, it's really exciting. And uh, the CEO was speaking at their earnings release last week and he said, you know, this isn't just about Singapore starting short haul routes. It's about flexibility. So they're going to be looking at considering whether to deploy a wide body or whether to send a narrow body on some of the routes that they're already flying. So, mm. um, you know, it's almost a happy accident, I guess, that it's wound up with these small planes right now. Yeah. Because when you're flying an all wide body fleet, it's really tricky to manage your demand and capacity um, in these weird times. Um, so, yeah, it looks like we could see some of these little planes deployed on some quite long routes. And obviously, that will even further extend when they start getting the 737 maxes in. Now, hmm. we don't know exactly how many they're taking because Silcare had, um, I believe, six when the type was grounded, um, but it had 31 more on order. Now, I know there's been some wriggling to try and get out of at least part of that order. So, we don't know entirely how many 737 MAX 8s will come to Singapore, but it will get some. And that plane is more than capable of, you know, some international routes and some fairly long flying. So we may well see more long haul narrow body stuff, which seems to be almost a hallmark of, uh, of what's coming in 2021 with JetBlue and its transatlantic flights and all the other airlines that are taking their long range narrow bodies. So um, quite exciting. But when I was looking into this, I didn't realise that Singapore Airlines used to operate 737s um, many, many years ago. So it was back in the 1970s. It had five 737-100s that it operated for about eight years. Um, and they all went to the now defunct Air Florida at the time. So it's almost like a step back in time for Singapore Airlines of 40 years, <laughs> which is pretty yeah. cool. Um, but like I say, do have a look at the photo of, uh, of the livery because I think it's really pretty and mm. uh, very unusual. Well, I mean, I've seen the, the livery on the 737 MAX, um, and I think that just, that really suits that aircraft. It does. It's so cute. And uh, mm. I think it's, yeah, it's going to be a great addition to the SIA fleet, at, like I say, in these weird times when we don't really know who's flying and when. So, mm. yeah, good on them. I'm looking forward to seeing them enter service. Um, but there's another aircraft that's had a bit of a makeover recently, um, and it's been what? a bit contentious here in the UK. But go ahead and tell us about what it's been doing. Well, I mean, firstly, I'm just going to apologise because last week I said I wouldn't talk about Berlin's airports this week, and <laughs> here we are. This is um, three weeks in a row, Tom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'll try. I think it might even be four weeks now. Um, but yeah, so um, back in episode 21, you may remember that you got quite excited about the repainting of um, one of the UK's uh, military A330s. Um, which I did, actually, yes. considering we're on episode 41 now, that was quite a while ago. It was actually <laughs> um, late June that this thing rolled out at the paint hangar. And um, it, it's been flying since, but not for the intended purpose of its paint scheme. Um, but actually, this weekend, we finally got to see it um, put to use, per se, um, because... It flew Prince Charles and Camilla out to Berlin's Brandenburg Airport, the new one, <laughs> um, for um, well, yesterday, uh, or as I'm speaking yesterday, but Sunday for anyone else listening, um, was 
Memorial Day in Germany. So they flew out to um, to sort of take part in these, not celebrations, but the, the, the remembrance of that. Yeah. Um, and that was sort of interesting because it wasn't just the first flight for the A330 in the UK livery, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Boris Force One. <laughs> yes. Um, it wasn't just the first flight for that, but I believe, um, I may be wrong, but I believe it was also the first time that um, Germany has welcomed state guests through the new government terminal at Brandenburg Airport. Because nice. um, I think sort of maybe a month ago, um, they flew in their old A340 um, to practice like how they'd roll out the red carpet and um, lining up the military to stand either side of the red carpet and all this. Um, but now they've actually had the chance to put it to the test. You know, that practice has, um, has been used and... Um, it all it's, looked very nice, very well organised, I have to say. It did, you know. It's just, I, I think it's a bit of a shame that they did it at night because I think the pictures really could have been extra special if they'd had daylight, you know. Um, but <laughs> I don't know. I think Boris Force One looks quite nice silhouetted against the dark sky with yeah. its uh, white paint job. I think it's cool. It's just a case of when when and if Boris is ever going to jump onto Boris Force One, you know, like <laughs> if we're calling it Boris Force One and so far all it's flown is Prince Charles. Well, it depends if he's still got a job, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's nice to see it being used and I think like there was some some controversy at the time over whether we really wanted this A330 with a huge uk flag on the tail but <laughs> actually seeing the pictures of it in berlin i think it did quite a good job you know it all does all. look very nice i think the issue is that you know our, our vip transport is a lot more multi-purpose than maybe some other countries that just kind hmm. of reserve them mainly for transporting guests well, yeah, ours I mean, is like... absolutely mainly <laughs> used for military operations and uh, hmm. you know if it's doing in-flight refueling or something like that it's kind of a, a very glaring target in the sky <laughs> yeah i don't think <laughs> but, we're gonna uh, see it in a sort of aerial war zone anytime <laughs> no, soon. no it sticks out like the proverbial sore thumb really but hmm. uh, it does look nice and it's about time we had some a bit more glamorous because uh, mm. the rest of the world has them so why shouldn't we really i mean i'm sure if you needed to a push you could just cover it up with stickers or something quite quickly <laughs> or employ some sort of cloaking device i'm sure they're working on that somewhere <laughs> <laughs> so uh, moving on if you don't mind um i just wanted to have a bit of a chat about london gatwick because <sighs> i i've been kind of following what's going on at, at london's they call it the second airport um and there were some really interesting comments last week from Ryanair's CEO, Michael O'Leary. Um, now, everybody knows Gatwick is a, a major hub for London, but it's kind of always stood in the shadows of London Heathrow, which is like our international hub. Um, and at the start of the COVID crisis, we saw a lot of airlines pulling back from Gatwick. So, yes, um, for <laughs> most example, airlines. I yeah. think it was getting six flights a day at the worst point. It was terrible. And it just showed that how much it is a second airport to Heathrow yeah. because that one really continued driving traffic through it even at the worst of the crisis so you know we saw Virgin Atlantic Norwegian they really pulled back BA pulled back but then they kind of mm. went back and started flying from there again Virgin but isn't going to be for some time so um, is, it, is Virgin going back I thought 
Virgin had pulled the plug for good? Uh, no, well, Shai was speaking, Mr. Weiss, sorry, was speaking in a, an interview last week and said that they would go back to Gatwick. So okay. it's just over when is really the consideration. Mm. Um, and, you know, at the moment, we've got these slot waivers in place, which means normally if the airlines don't operate 80% of their slots 80% of the time or whatever it is they're going to lose them for the next season so now they've got this waiver that means they don't have to operate them it's avoiding ghost flights it's a good thing Um, but that is stopping other airlines from moving in to fill the gap Um, and Wizz Air has been flying into Gatwick for some time and just last month they opened a base there um, with just one aircraft to start because they can't get any (laughs) more slots and he's Virardi's quite vocal about this and thinks that the slot waiver is absolutely preventing them from taking lots more slots and being more competitive there um but when they arrived as a base there they joined the airport's biggest airline which is obviously easyjet as the second sort of short-haul low-cost carrier um and gatwick is quite unique in that respect it's it's the only london airport that really has equal representation between full service low-cost and charter um and actually easyjet had about 40 percent of the slots at gatwick um Mm. with ba and norwegian the second biggest operators so when O'Leary was speaking about Gatwick he said that he believes absolutely in time more slots will open up and whether those come from British Airways IAG whatever it is or Norwegian we don't really know Um, EasyJet's not going anywhere because it's kind of closed other bases in favour of this one Um, but he does I mean he kind of said that maybe IAG would move British Airways out um, but he doesn't think that he'll, they'll let those slots go. He believes they'll give them to maybe Vwelling or Aer Lingus rather than let them go to another carrier. Um, so if Wiz wants more slots, the only place it's going to get them really is from Norwegian. Now, we know that Norwegian was in financial difficulties even before the current crisis. Um, and just last week, they were rejected for further funding by their government. So there's a real big question mark over their ability to survive this winter period Mm. Um, and O'Leary you know he didn't kind of want to say that they're going to go bust but he did say that he thinks slots will open up at Gatwick that used to belong to Norwegian so we're really starting to see Gatwick as a bit of a battleground for low-cost airlines and I think it's going to be interesting to see Wiz if they do get the Norwegian slots which they'd be in a good position to do as as a kind of new entrant at the airport Um, you know they'd really start to square up to EasyJet Um, and Michael thinks that this is all because they can't compete with Ryanair and he was quite scathing about how often he's made Wiz run away <laughs> from a market because what? Ryanair's moved in. So <laughs> I mean, it's not, not pushing them out, but it's very noticeable to me that I can take Ryanair services from Frankfurt but mm-hmm. um, and even with the loss of the discount that they were getting, they're still happy to, to pony up. But yeah. Um, Wiz, as Wiz soon as they out. stopped getting the discount, they were like, no, no way we're going, which is a shame because that's really removed Wiz as an, um, a sort of possibility for me completely because I'm not a fan of traveling long distances to get a cheap flight when Ryanair will give me the same cheap flight from my doorstep. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, he pointed out that they've, you know, Ryanair's moved into a lot of Wiz's home territories in Romania, mm. Bucharest, Ukraine. And he says that that has caused Wiz to pull back and move further east and down into Dubai to avoid butting heads. And his quote was, you stay out of Ryanair's way because you can't compete with us. And I think he's got, a, you know, he's got a good point. He offers 9.99 fares and, you know, that's very hard to compete with. You know, as mm. much as Wiz has a lovely new fleet of A321, ones coming in and you know is able to offer some really superb comfort and low fares they struggle to operate at a per seat cost basis that's anything in like Ryanair's low cost mm. so um, but he does think that Wiz has got a good chance of beating EasyJet at Gatwick which will be interesting to watch because EasyJet's taking on an awful lot of debt they're shrinking their fleet they're kind of doing the opposite to what Ryanair and Wiz are doing um, yeah. And he thinks that they will come out of COVID as a high-cost, low-cost airline, if you like. They'll be at the, the higher end um, in terms of their per-seat cost, and they won't be able to compete with Wiz in terms of low prices. Mm. Um, but one thing we do know, whoever wins at Gatwick, is it won't be Ryanair because they're not interested. And I think this is the really cool thing, is that they are very focused on Stansted. There's massive opportunities for them. You know, O'Leary said that Gatwick's a very expensive airport with expensive handling. And if you remember back in August, EasyJet pulled out of Stansted. Um, they closed their base there. And Ryanair is going to take those slots. And to a lesser extent, they're going to take their slots at Southend as well. So, you know, they quite like Southend, but Stansted in particular is going to be, you know, a Ryanair base. So it's almost like, well, Wizard EasyJet fight it out in Gatwick. Ryanair's left to completely take over and reign supreme down at Stansted. I mean, they've <laughs> been doing that for many, many years already, Joe. They have, but now they've got like zero competition there. And, uh, mm. you know, there's... Well, I there's... don't know. There's still quite a Jet 2 pops across from there, I think. That's not a low-cost airline, though. That's a charter airline. So I don't see that. That is direct competition. There's there's no other low cost carrier at Stansted. Well, not oh, not to try any me. extent. I will, I will search deep. <laughs> you do that <laughs> to find a low cost carrier at Stansted. <laughs> but so yeah, let's wait and see who uh, who wins the battle of uh, Gatwick. Mm. Um, and for our final topic, <laughs> Tom, you're going to tell us what's going on in Vietnam and flights to the US. Back in 2019, um, some readers that have been with us for a while might remember that um, the Federal Aviation Administration, or the FAA as most people know it, granted the country of Vietnam with Category 1 safety status, um, which sort of paved the way for airlines there to launch more flights to the US. And um, also, sort of... what. Well, I call it a startup, but it's not really a startup now. Um, Bamboo Airways is almost two years old now already, um, which seems crazy to me. Mm. <laughs> like, I mean, it's good for them, but it just, they still seem like this little startup to me. Um, like yeah. they just started yesterday. Not yeah. that they're little, but, um, but ever since the early days, they've had their eyes on uh, the US. And I remember sort of we've, done stories maybe two years ago speculating where they might want to fly in the US based off of um, dots on a map that um, or not even dots on a map but where an arc might have ended on a map you know um, but actually now they've sort of been working on this and they've now secured permission from the Department of Transport to launch non-stop flights to the US with their 787 Dreamliner aircraft. 
Mm. And these are aircraft that should have been flying to Europe already now, but we all know <laughs> why they're not going there. Um, but it's sort of an interesting one because at one point they even sort of floated the idea of operating A380 flights to the US. I don't know if you remember that. That was sort of two yeah, years ago now. I one. guess that that's no longer in the game plan. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, I mean we haven't heard anything since, but um, what they're planning to do is initially to look at flying to Los Angeles and San Francisco. Um, and they'd obviously use their 787s, but I think um, that would be sort of a good, a good sort of stepping stone for the airline to sort of prove, yes, we are a serious international player. Um when they get in there. But um, what I thought was even more interesting is the timeline of such flights because um, the deputy director general of the airline um, said, depending on the pandemic recovery of the US and market conditions, by the end of 2020 or at the beginning of 2021 at the soonest, we will operate non-stop flights to the US. And mm-hmm. I mean... I'm kind of a bit sceptical on that, given that they haven't launched the European flights um, yet. And sort of on a more general basis, I think while there's now more cases in Europe than in North America, the sort of COVID crisis in North America isn't getting better. And um, it's still a lot worse than it was in Europe when Bamboo made the decision to postpone its European launch. Yeah, so that's definitely one to watch. Um, and of course, we will say more um, when we know more. But um, it's, it's, I'm excited to see the possibility of bamboo expanding across the Pacific. Mm, I am too. It would be great to see them arriving in, uh, in America. Do we know which airports they're targeting or not yet? Yeah, yeah. so um, Los Angeles and San Francisco initially. Okay, oh yeah, you did say. I and did. then I, do they, <laughs> would they be able to reach further into the US with the Dreamliner or is that the extent of the range capabilities? I mean, um, I'm sure it could go a bit further. Um, I don't know the exact figures off the top of my head, but I mean, like if you... I I think it could off the top hmm. of my head. But. Oh, it'd be interesting to see, certainly. Yeah. But uh, we will have to wait and see if it comes to fruition. Because uh, watch this space. I'm not convinced <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> well, no, I think I think the US flights will happen. It's just more of a case of when, yeah. rather than if. Um, I I think the not convincing bit is maybe as soon as late 2020, early 21 be cool if they got a fifth freedom via hawaii wouldn't it (laughs) like new york or something that would be really cool but uh, we will wait and see (laughs) would that be fifth freedom though because the second leg would be domestic oh i don't know but i mean they could all i I know Qantas does or did um the they they did a hop where they would do um i think uh sydney Los Angeles, New York, but you couldn't yeah. book Los Angeles, New York. Oh, is that because you'd be competing with domestic carriers? Yeah. Ah. So perhaps there's some sort of work around there where they could do it not like a fifth freedom, but more like a tag flight. Yeah. Still, I'd like to fly from New York to Hawaii on a bamboo mm. Airways plane. That would be completely <laughs> random and very exciting. Mm. So uh, anyway, I think that's all we've got time for for today's podcast. Um, we do hope you enjoyed it and welcome any feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com. 
For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying. If you enjoyed our podcast, please do leave us a rating on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.